We've been preaching through Acts in our normal discourse here at East Point Church, and um, but for the holiday we've been we took a break and we preach. We've been preaching through a series of sermons on popular hymns of the Christian faith, particularly those hymns around Christmas time. Uh, last week we looked at um, "O Come All Ye Faithful." And this week, we want to look at the popular hymn, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. How many know that hymn? How many are familiar with that hymn? Well, amen. So you can sing it with me when it comes time to sing. Those of you who don't know it, just follow my lead. Amen. You know, Christmas time is accompanied uh, by some wonderful, rich hymns in the church. Silent Night, um, O Holy Night. These, these hymns are full, they are full of the richness of the theology of the church. They are some of the richest, in fact, songs that we sing any time of the year. And one such song that belongs in that group is God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. It was first published in England in 1760. The author, in fact, is not known. However, during that time, during the mid-18th century, from the early 18th century to the late 18th century, Uh, There were those like Isaac Watts who believed that the church was well served through preaching but was not complimentarily served through song. That the songs that they sung did not complement the richness of the word that was preached. And therefore, they set off. They set out to do something about that. And what they did, they began to write and they began to publish and they published and wrote some of the most beloved hymns that we sing today. The hymns that they wrote were full of biblical content. They were full of theological language. They were even more musically appealing than the songs had been prior to that. And therefore, that time period became known as the golden age of hymn writing. Some of our most beloved hymns were written at that time. William Cooper wrote, There is a fountain filled with blood. Isaac Watts wrote, Joy to the World. Augustus Toplady wrote, Rock of Ages. John Newton wrote, Amazing Grace. And though we don't know the name, somebody wrote, God rest you merry, gentlemen. It's a beautiful hymn. It's a wonderful hymn. It is a hymn hymn of Advent. It is a hymn rich in the imagery and the story of the birth of our Lord and Master Jesus Christ into the world. It is a hymn full of the gospel, full of the gospel and the power of God to save his people from their sins. God rest you, merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay, the song says. 
For Jesus Christ, our Savior, was born upon this day to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. How rich that is. Reminds us that from God, our Heavenly Father, a blessed angel came. And unto certain shepherds brought tidings of the same. How that in Bethlehem was born the Son of God by name. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. The hymn points us this morning, I believe, to our text, doesn't it? One of the most well-known passages in the Bible, particularly as it relates to the birth of Christ. It's well-known because it is said every year on national television. It's the Linus account, isn't it? If you, don't, if you never heard it any other time, you heard it when you watched a Charlie Brown Christmas. And there were in that same country. Shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, for unto us, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You see the imagery that is there. It is the pronouncement of Christ coming into the world. The angels come and pronounce to these shepherds at night on this Judean hillside that the kingdom of God is breaking forth into the kingdom of men. And in this brief passage, you see the contrast. You see the contrast between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of men that will manifest itself all throughout the ministry of Christ. You see the contrast between the shepherds and kings. You see the contrast between angels and men. But the greatest contrast here is between the darkness of this world and the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice what it says. And there were in the same in the same country shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. By night. The angels could have come at any time of the day. Why? Come to the shepherds at night. Because, beloved, Christ coming into this world, John says, is the light of God shining in the darkness. Breaking forth in the darkness with his glory and majesty. 
that he is the light of life, that he is the light of men. When the light of his glory shone into, it pierced that darkness. You know what happened? Notice that when the angel looked upon the shepherds and saw in their face the horror of that light breaking forth and piercing that darkness, what did the angel say? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings. Great joy. Or as the hymn says, tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. I bring you good tidings of comfort and joy. Tidings. What does that mean? Nobody says that anymore. It's not even in your Bible unless you're looking at the King James. Tidings. The word there literally means news. It it means proclamation of news. And notice that he says he doesn't just bring tidings, but he brings good tidings. It's the proclamation of the good news. It's the proclamation of the gospel. The angel here is proclaiming a good news of great joy. And that's what the hymn does, doesn't it? The hymn proclaims a good news of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. And this is the news that the angel reminds us, and so does the hymn, that it's found only in Jesus Christ. It is found in his coming. The good news, the good tidings that brings great joy, it's found in the proclamation of the coming of Jesus Christ. The hymn, like the scriptures, then it does just that. It proclaims the coming of Christ. That proclamation is good news for all people. That is good news for all people, especially for those who put their trust and believe upon him this morning. For the song, like the angels, gives us the gospel. That's what the angels did. They proclaimed the gospel. The song does the same thing. It gives us the gospel. And in the gospel, like the song, we see a very important truth concerning the birth of Christ this morning. That is inherent in the gospel. That you don't hear it talked about a lot. But beloved, when you reflect upon it, it is as beautiful a blessing and reality that is found in the gospel. And namely, that the coming of of Christ is the coming of rest. 
The coming of Christ is the coming of rest. That is the promise. The promise in his coming is the promise of rest. promise of Christ coming into this world indeed it's a promise of rest because you do understand that sin has not only ravaged the world beloved sin has wearied the world as well doesn't just ravage it it wearies it and the good news of the gospel the good tiding is the promise that at long last a rest has arrived a rest has arrived. Notice what the hymn writer says. God rest you. God rest you. Ah, you just sing over that and have, have not even begun to, compl- to contemplate the richness of those three words. God rest you. What is rest? Really, what is it? Well, put simply, rest is comfort for the weary. It's comfort for the weary. We all want more of it because few of us ever claim to get enough. Though I think my children get more than their share, they believe they never really get enough. And yet this rest is important. This rest is glorious for his rest is taught to us throughout the scriptures. His rest was instituted by God, you do understand. It was instituted by God, and therefore he says, God rests you. Why? Because it belongs to God. It's God's rest. It belongs to him. It is, it is a true rest that was given to the world at creation. Amazingly, amazingly, in in Genesis chapter 2, we are told that after creating the world in six days, what did God do? The Bible says God rested. God rested. Now, you do understand, beloved, that in the beginning when God rested, he didn't rest because he was tired. But his rest was a celebration. The sense of a celebration that God stopped after he had created all things and saw that it was good and began to celebrate his creation, began to celebrate himself. All that he had accomplished, all that he had done, he blessed it and he said it was good and he stopped and he celebrated. And then, the grace of all grace, he gave this rest to Adam and Eve. It was to be theirs. It was to be theirs. They were to find in him their rest. Work would not make them weary. Worry would not make them weary. Nothing would make them weary. Because they would find their continual rest in God. And what happened? Sin 
And when sin came into the world, sin wrested that rest from them. Rested that rest from them. Sin forfeited that rest. So that God would say to Eve, in your childbirthing, you would get weary. Adam, in your labors, the ground would weary you. All the days of your life because of sin. You would be seeking, ever seeking for rest. And this is the rest that was not only instituted by God, but it was promised to God's people. You know, in the Old Testament, the rest that God enjoyed is a rest that he gave to Adam and Eve, and they forfeited it by sin, and yet it was still a promise given to God's people. Even though they forfeited it, God's promises don't fail because of your lack of faith. So he promised it to the nation of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, he he told them that if they would follow his commands and if they would go into the land, in that promised land, they would find rest. Rest from their enemies. Rest from their labors. Rest. And what happened? The Bible says because of their lack of faith, because of their disobedience, they failed to enter into that rest. And yet, beloved, their lack of faith did not nullify the promises of God. For he promised his people a rest. And guess what? What God promises he fulfills. And in the coming of Christ, God gave again to his people. Rest. Rest, beloved. Rest. God rest you. That is the proclamation of the gospel that is coming in Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came into the world, what the angels were saying to those shepherds and to all those who were trust in him, in Christ there is rest. But not just rest, beloved. The song says, rest you Mary. Rest you Mary. So that the rest that is to come in God is not just a rest where you get more sleep, beloved. But it is a rest that is full of comfort and joy. Rest you Mary means, beloved, to rest you joyful. Rest you fully. Rest you content. In other words, rest you assured that you have found rest. And that rest is a joyful rest. It's a rest of comfort and joy. It is a rest that brings good tidings of a great joy. And this is really the substance of rest in the Bible. You do understand that the idea of rest in the Bible, beloved, is not just more sleep. But the idea of rest in the Bible is celebration. 
The idea of rest in the Bible is a day of feasting and, and celebration and is praising God as he did in Genesis. So we should do when we get that rest in Christ, praising God for all that he has done and all that he is. It's not just to go to bed and sleep an extra hour. But it's to celebrate. Feasting and singing and dancing and fellowship. The wonders, the wonders, the wonders of God. and All that God has done. He has sent salvation to his people. For unto you is born a Savior. Salvation has come to those who have faith in him. And that salvation is comfort and joy because it is rest. Rest, 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 rest. And what is that rest, beloved? It is rest from all that wearies us. And what wearies us? Work, worry, and waiting. Work, worry, and waiting. In Christ, God rest you, Mary, from work. From work. You do understand, beloved, that work was not designed by God to be burdensome. The work that he gave Adam and Eve to do, he gave to them before sin. And it was not meant to be burdensome. It was meant to be a joy. You can't even fathom that, can you? Can't even imagine how work could be such. But God gave Adam and Eve work, and it was good. Sin, the Bible tells us in chapter 3 of Genesis and verse 17, has made it a burden. And now work makes us tired. Didn't tire Adam and Eve before sin. But now work makes us tired. And who doesn't get tired of the grind? At nine to five, week in and week out. It, it often seems the more we do, the more there is to do. Sound like the little dwarfs in Snow White. Hi-ho, hi-ho, is off to work we go. Hi-ho, hi-ho. Week in, day after day. And work, we all know, can be futile, beloved. And most of the world works in vain. And oftentimes we find ourselves caught up in that cycle of vanity. Well, there is no meaning to it. There is no end. You work to eat and then you eat to work so that you can Work to eat. Say amen, Don. It's because, beloved, it can be meaningless. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 22 says, What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? 
For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. There is only vanity, vanity of vanity. All is vanity. Here is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that in Christ, work has meaning again. Those who come to know Christ, those who put their trust and faith in Christ, come to understand that work is not vanity of vanity. Work is not meaningless. Work has meaning. He reminds us that our labors like his are all for the glory of God. And therefore, Paul could say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that your labors are not in vain. I work in the Lord. I don't work to eat and eat to work. I work for the glory of God. And in that, I am redeemed from the meaningless cycle of life. So that I don't work like the unbeliever works. I don't behold my labors like the unbeliever beholds his labor as he gets to the end of the day. And he looks at all he has done and he says, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. And I say, no, glory, glory, all is glory. My work has been redeemed. Has different meaning. In Christ, in Christ, I find rest from the meaningless work of life. And not just rest from work, beloved, there is rest from worry. Because you do know that few things weary us as much as worry does. Wearies us. It takes energy to worry. And and worry cripples and paralyzes us. It cripples and paralyzes us to such a degree that it keeps us from trusting and obeying Christ. It leads to doubting castle and it leads us ultimately into the dungeon of giant despair. That's what worry does. And beloved, we all do it. We all worry. We worry about our children. We worry about our health. We worry about our careers. We worry about our wealth. We worry so much that you can't sleep at night. Why? Because as the psalmist says in Psalm 127, you eat the bread of anxious toil. And you can't sleep because you worry and you're anxious. And you do understand that most worry is unwarranted because it's rooted in a lack of faith and trust in God. It is the fruit of fear. And since that's the case, listen again. 
to what the angel says to the shepherds. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Why? Because, beloved, worry and anxiety are tools. They are tools. They are weapons of Satan to get God's people off of their mark, to get them not to trust in God. It is Satan whispering in your ear saying, God is not good. God is not good. God does not care. God is not with you. God has forgotten about you. Satan talks big, but worry makes him sound louder than he really is. What does the hymn writer say? Fear not, then said the angel. Let nothing you affright. This day is born a Savior, pure and virgin, bright, to, to free all those who trust in him from Satan's power and might. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Fear not, worry not. The birth of Christ is God saying, fear no more. I am with you. All is well. Saying that Satan's power is vanquished. Do you know what 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8 tells us? That the reason that Jesus came into the world was to destroy the works of the devil. One of his works is your worry. And Jesus has come into the world to destroy your worry in your life. No, you know, most worry, beloved, is nothing more than monsters in the closet and ghosts in the corner. How often have your children call out to you in the middle of the night and says, there's a monster in the closet. There's a ghost in the corner. If anything, like me, you go into the room and you tell them, well, you don't need to call on daddy. You need to call on Jesus. <laughs> call on Jesus. Because he's a ghost buster. <laughs> All your worry, beloved, most of your worry is nothing more than monsters in the closet. It's nothing more than ghosts in the corner. And you need to just take a moment and call on Jesus, who is the ghost buster. And you hear him calming you and reminding you, look at the corner and say, I ain't afraid of no ghosts. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Because I got Jesus. And he brings comfort and joy. Oh, tidings. Tidings of comfort and joy. And I ain't afraid. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. It's rest, beloved. Rest from work. Rest from worry and rest from waiting. Rest from waiting. Waiting makes you weary also. 
really does. How many times have we said to ourselves or said to others, I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of waiting. And waiting is wearisome. Because when we get tired, when we get tired of waiting, what we do is that we tend to want to take matters in our own hands. Ain't that right, Mo? Family and I was out to a restaurant last weekend. We were sitting there at this, this new place that just opened, and so they didn't have all their stuff together. One person sat us down, and then they, they forgot all about us. The waiters, and you can see the managers and the waiters were running around. They didn't know who was at which table and who had been served what. And we sat there and we waited and waited and waited. And a thing that came into my mind several times is we just need to get up from here and go find somewhere else to eat because I was tired of waiting. I was going to take matters into my own hands. That's how we get it. We get tired of waiting. We get tired of waiting on God. We get tired of waiting. I'm tired of waiting on the building. You get tired of waiting. Some, some of you tired of waiting on a spouse. Tired of waiting on marriage. Tired of waiting. Some of you are tired of waiting on your spouse to change. To be somebody different. Tired of waiting. You get tired of waiting on your career to finally blossom. Tired of waiting. What happens? Begin to take matters in your own hand because what makes waiting so tiresome is that you begin to lose hope that anything is going to happen any different. You wonder if God has forgotten all about you. And so you say like the psalmist in Psalm 13, Oh Lord, how long? How long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How long? Before my change comes. How long? Beloved, do understand this. That God is not slack in keeping his promises. And in the birth of Christ, you know what you have? You have God answering the question, how long? How long, how long before Messiah comes? How long before a Savior comes? How long before the the weight of sin is lifted from this heart and shoulder of mine? How long? God rest you, Mary. Gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Why? Christ our Savior was born upon this day to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. All the tidings of comfort and joy 
is that he has kept his promises. And on this day is born unto you in the city of David a Savior who is Christ alone. Christ the Lord. How long? Long no more. Christ has come. The good news is that in Christ, the promise of deliverance has come. And you don't have to grow weary and waiting. Did he keep his promises to send a Savior? Then he's going to keep his promises to comfort you. And this is why the Bible tells us over and over again, you just wait on the Lord. You just wait on the Lord. Now, again, we don't wait like the world waits. The world waits waits in anxiety. We wait on the Lord. We wait in the Lord. Wait on the Lord, I say, the psalmist says. And again, I say, wait on the Lord. Wait on him. Don't give up on God. He may not come exactly when you want him to come. His timing may not be on your timetable. But when he shows up, he shows up at the right time. Wait on him. Don't grow weary in waiting. Wait on him. Don't give up. Wait on him. Wait on him, beloved. He keeps his promises. He is not slack concerning his promises. Has he promised it? He will do it. Wait on him. Rest in him as you wait on him. And beloved, I got some bad news. We've been talking about good news, but there is some bad news here. And the bad news is this. That in this world, You will get weary. You can't escape it. It is a wearisome world. And you're going to get weary. We all get weary. We all get weary from work. We all get weary from worry. We all get weary from waiting. And yet, for the Christian this morning, there is good news. And the good news is this that there are good tidings of comfort and joy. And in a world that is tired and weary for the Christian, there remains a rest. A rest now. And an eternal rest yet to come. Do you hear the voice of Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is a rest for the Christian. Beloved, everyone in the world wants rest. Everybody wants it, but only those in Christ will get it. Because that rest is only promised in the gospel. And in the gospel is the good news of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. Rest is only for those in Christ. Because you do understand. And in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 11, hell is described 
as torment where there is no rest. No rest, beloved. No rest. You think you're weary now. If you fail to place your trust in Christ, weary will be your portion for all eternity. As as your soul is tormented, the Bible says there is no rest. Do you know Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13 says that the joy of heaven is those who die in Christ and they find rest. Rest. Heaven beloved, is rest. It's rest from work. It's rest from worry. It's rest from waiting. Heaven is our eternal resting place in Christ. That's why the song should mean so much. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Why? Because if you are in Christ, the rest that you have now will only be magnified in heaven. Where? It's not a place where you get more sleep. But it is a place of feasting and rejoicing and celebrating, enjoying the eternal rest of God rest you merry. God rest you joyfully. God rest you contently. God rest you assured if you are in Christ this morning. Are you in him? Rest assured. All is well. Let's pray.